this is this is this is this is hidden gem. This is hidden gem. This is hidden gem. Welcome back, everybody. See my grizzle there. What's up, everybody? Tonight we got uh, my man Eon Two, aka Rock Creek Lee, in the building tonight from the Double Down Kings. Man, we have a lot to dig into tonight. Um, so it's gonna be a very beautiful episode. I, I want before we get started for episode fifty-three, I just want to say thank you for breaking us off on the whole graffiti series. Um, it's an honor to have you on here tonight. Um, I feel like I want to learn a lot myself. So thank you, thank you for uh, being a part of this whole episode tonight. Hey, man, thank you for asking me to be there. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, episode 53, y'all, Rock Creek Lee, man. Let's start at the beginning, man. Um, I feel like, I feel like your story starts in the year, based off what we had, we had a one-on-one. I feel like, uh, your story truly starts in 1994. Can you break us down how everything starts for you? Well, 1994, I, I, I jumped off the porch, both feet, you know, and, um, committed myself to just writing graffiti, you know, uh, didn't really have... A plan, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't, you know, like I was like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm gonna be doing this for the next, you know, 20 years. But, you know, I jumped off the porch just like, you know, ready to get ready to get dirty. So, you know, uh, and that, you know, that's Hydesville, you know, where I grew up. Um, I went to Northwestern High School. Uh, we had a few writers that were a little bit older than me, people like uh, Keir and Gist and Shell, NCQ3. Um, these were names that I was seeing, you know, as as I was starting to come into my consciousness and, you know, and, and kind of starting to recognize graffiti and, and what I was seeing around me. So um, those were all great people to have, you know, to have, you know, as examples because um, they were doing great work, you know. Um, and I started writing in 1994 with my best friend, uh, Mikey Vader, AKA Alone. He's the other co-founder of the Double Down Kings. Uh, back then, it just stood for Too Damn Cool or Two Dope Kids. You know, it was me and him um, basically running around PG County, running into DC, you know, trying to you know, learn as much as we could about graffiti, trying to experience it, try to see it, you know, um, and trying to do it. Um, and, you know, that, that my year, that was a big year for me, 1994. Okay. Okay. We kind of talked about, um, nothing we talked about earlier prior to this episode was, was mentorship. I feel like there's a, there's a couple of graffiti crews that kind of like paved the way for you. But more importantly, there was a person that you mentioned by the name of CERT, um, C-E-R-T. Can you speak a little bit about your mentorship and the crews that kind of like really like steered you in the direction of pursuing graffiti as Martin? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I started in 1994, uh, but those, you know, were definitely my tour years, you know, 94 and 95, as I'm, you know, just really trying to acclimate myself and trying to figure out what graffiti is all about. Um, towards the end of 1995, I ended up uh, having a uh, meeting cert who 
you know, most people, you know, from back in the day would say that Sir was the king of the red line, you know, particularly in those years, um, he had some of the best work, you know, on the line, on the streets, uh, you know, essentially, to me, he was the king of DC graffiti. Um, and so I had a chance when I met him. And, you know, we were cool. Um, but in 1996, there was uh, there was some stuff happening on the red line. And he had lost a, a few pieces um, to another writer who was just kind of going over his stuff. And I reached out to him uh, through Kier, you know, and, and let him know what was happening. And um, he said, he asked me if I knew where all the spots were. And I told him I did. And he said, all right, give me your address. And I'm going to pull up on you tonight. We're going to go take those spots back. And that's what happened. And um, ever since that day, you know what I'm saying, Sir kind of took me under his wing. Now, we're the same age, but he's like, three and a half, four years older than me in graffiti, you know, um, him having started in 1991, you know, and, and already having been schooled by SMK, you know, to style, um, he was able to kind of bring me in and show me what he already knew. Um, and that was super important for a number of reasons. One, because I didn't have a lot of people who were supporting me in my graffiti goals you know what i'm saying like i was there i was painting and i was getting up but my stuff was trash you know i was the worst graffiti writer um the fact that the best graffiti writer was willing to work with me and show me stuff really meant a lot to me and uh as that you know as that relationship progressed you know what i'm saying he introduced me to smk SMK would take on being my mentor for many years, as well as uh, writers like Sec from Hoods of Art Crew and Da from H-Bomb. These would become my mentors in graffiti. Uh, but it all really started with Cert and Cert, you know, looking out for a youngin and taking me under his wing. Super shout to Cert, man. Shout to Cert. Man, tell us about... I feel, like, I feel like before we get into the, the, like the Double Down Kings, I feel like, um, how'd you come with the name Eon, too? Like, what is the origin of your name? Well, you know, when I started in 1994, my name wasn't Eon. Uh, my very first graffiti name was Exo Manowar. Uh, it's a crazy long name that I ripped from a comic book. Um, but I was really into comic books at the time, so it was, you know, kind of suited. Um, but through 1994... Uh, I went through a series of names, almost a dozen, really, where I was just trying out different, uh, you know, letters and, and names. And to me, you know, what I'm saying your name meant something important, you know, like when you think about like graffiti legends, you know, guys like Sir, you know, guys like Ultra, you know, these are hard names, you know, what I'm saying these are strong names. Um, and I wanted a name that was like that, you know. Uh, and so I was, you know, kind of going through different iterations uh, and I was looking at a dictionary and I came down to uh, two words that I wanted to write. It was either going to be ego or it was going to be eon. And I chose the name eon because, you know, it means a long amount of time. I figured it was going to take me that long to get good. Right. Um, so that I'm going to this is the name that I'm going to pick. Um, and for many, and for a few years, I was Eon One, 
uh, and you know, I had an Eon One tag that I put up everywhere. And changed for me in 2002, um, when we, I became aware, more aware of Dondi White and um, his, you know, his legacy and impact in, um, in graffiti culture. Um, and the internet was available to me at that time. So I was, you know, doing as much research as I could on Dondi and came across handwritten letters that he had, you know, written to his friends and he had signed them Dondi, the double down king. You know, go on to learn more about where that name comes from for him, which is him painting two pieces on one subway car, one on either end, you know, with different names while simultaneously helping his homie in the middle to do their piece. And that really resonated with me because uh, at the time we were working with a lot of younger graffiti writers. We were starting to put together production walls and things like that. And it, it actually took me back to one of the early nights with Sir on the Red Line where I was having some difficulty putting on what we call a force field, you know, or a gel on the outside of the piece. And um, Sir, you know, asked me for the can that I was using and he starts hitting some of the, the longer lines in the piece hitting them nice and straight for me and and I said thank you you know like thank you for helping me and he said he's like not nah, players like I shine you shine you know if we're if we're on the line together we're all gonna look good you know and that that was the same mentality that Dondi had you know you know if we're going out painting we're gonna paint together and we're gonna make what we do the best we possibly can right and um and it just really resonated with me but as I looked at it further, the Saul Double Down King, DDK, and we had a crew that was called 2DK. Um, That's the two dope kings, right? And at that moment, almost immediately, I was with uh, my man SLR. We were in the we were in the lab at my mom's house, uh, you know, hitting sketchbooks, and I was like, "We're gonna call the crew the Double Down Kings in honor of Dondi." And, you know, it goes a little bit deeper than that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's uh, isms with the, with the, in the graffiti world, Dondiism, Capism, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that, that idea of us adhering to a creative philosophy that is akin to the style master general, Dondi White, that's where I want to put the energy of the crew. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Deep stuff, deep stuff, yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like um, this is one of the actually this is a question that I'm gonna flip on you. One of, one of the young cats hit me up, and their question was, is how did you get into teaching for the youth, and and what was your life like in the '90s coming up that led you up to being a teacher up to this point? You know, I had never taught, you know, and I for a while I didn't really consider myself to be a teacher. Uh, because what we were doing really was giving some of the younger writers a, a chance to, and a place to come and just kind of hang out, right? And that goes to the writer's bench, you know what I'm saying, uh, which is something that, you know, we've done in one way, shape, or form since 1998 in the city. And it really actually started at Kappa House. Um, I had been there with uh, with Kelt and some and a bunch of the 
the OG homies, you know, we, we did a party there. Um, but we had the entire evening and the first few hours were always super slow. There was like never anybody in there. So, you know, we decided to have an open floor for B-boys and to have, you know, a writer's bench for the younger graffiti writers. So they, everybody could bring their black books and kind of, you know, swap and trade. And that's exactly what it was. Um, uh, Jason Bullock, who worked for Metro Teenage at the time, um, would come to the Kappa house and he saw what we were doing. And he said, you know, this could fit really well with what we've got going on in Southeast. Why don't you come and check out what we're doing? Uh, which we did. Yeah. And uh, similarly, at the same time, there was another organization called the Midnight Forum that was founded um, by, um, man, his name is escaping me right now. Um, another, another cat that was, you know, his name is Dino, that was frequently, um, that was frequently coming in the cop house. He wanted to do a similar thing. Uh, whereas they wanted us to come in and show kids how to do graffiti. Um, which, you know, I didn't, you know, at that point in time, I wasn't that good, you know, uh, but I knew more than others, you know, and I knew, knew more than some of the youngins that were coming in and, you know, I was able to kind of steer them in the right direction, but I, I spoke with SMK about it. Um, I asked them one, is this something that, you know, we should be doing? Um, two is, you know, is it cool? Like, you know, would you help out, you know what I'm saying? And kind of show me what to tell, you know, the kids and, he said, he told me two things, one that stuck with me uh, very, you know, even to this day, which was each one teach one. And that was his answer to whether or not it's okay for me to teach graffiti to people. Cause you have to think about it. It's in, it's in the nineties, you know what I'm saying? It's still really underground. Um, there's not a whole lot of access to graffiti as a culture, not the way that it is now. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of like giving away company secrets to a certain extent, you know, but SMK's philosophy was it, you know, in line with hip hop and each one teach one philosophy, you know, and that's was his answer to me. Um, and one, I have a line in one of the songs, you know, that says, Kyle says each one teach one ain't that something bigger. If I teach a hundred do so run for a hundred summers, you know, and that's the philosophy that we've had in recruitment and bringing young people into the crew, but even just in the engagement of regular, you know, civilian people who have an interest in graffiti. Like if I show you how to do it, there's a chance you might go out and actually start doing it, you know? And that in that way, we keep the culture alive and we keep the culture fresh. Mm. Okay, okay. Um, I feel like before I go into your whole, Insane aspect of your career. I feel like there's one more thing I want to bring up in um, the 14th Street uh, Graffiti Museum. Um, how did how did that whole project come about? What what is, what is the main objective with that? And where has it, what has it done for you uh, being a curator for that whole exhibit? Well, one the space came you know to be because there was interest from folks on that block um, to have some sort of activation. Um, you know, there, uh, there's two where if you've never been to the space, which is at 14th and Crittenden Northwest, um, there's two blocks of restaurants and businesses. Um, and it sits across from a now empty uh, bus barn from, from Washington Metro. 
uh, it's a redevelopment project on the other side of the street. And um, on, you know, the other side are these businesses that for many years relied on the foot traffic from not only the bus lines, but also the bus barn and the employees. And, you know, now uh, in 2020, which is when we did the project, they were seeing, you know, uh, even more diminished numbers because of COVID and because of the need for people to social distance. Um, but there was a want to activate the space and maybe see if there was, if something we could do outside that could, you know, kind of help bring people to the uh, neighborhood. Um, and I went and did a site visit and saw the courtyard, um, which at that point in time was full of garbage cans and, old uh, restaurant equipment and things like that and thought, well, wouldn't this be a great kind of space? You know, it's a, it's outdoors, but it's enclosed um, and it has some really great wall. Um, so the, the question was asked and they came back and said, well, sure. Yeah. You guys can paint some stuff here, you know, and it can become a community space, uh, which was great. And we started working with uh, the folks at Uptown Main Street, um, and the folks at uh, Maven Asset Groups, who were the folks that own, you know, most of that block, um, and, you know, just hammer out the idea that we could go there and paint. Um, that all happened in August, the early August of 2020. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, it was about to be Cool Disco Dan Day. August 19th is Cool Disco Dan Day in D.C. So we wanted to try to coincide with that. Um, and, and, and have artists come in and paint. Um, and then I really just brought forward the idea that let's commemorate this space in the name of, of Dan, in the name of Dan Hogue, you know what I'm saying, in the name of Cool Disco Dan. Um, let's see if we can create a portrait. Uh, because many times when you hear people talk about Cool Disco Dan, they'll show you a picture of his tag or something like that. But it's it's a whole lot different when you get to look at him, you know. And for so many of us who, you know, uh, consider Dan friend and family and brother, you know, um, that there's not a whole lot of places where you could go to actually see his work. But then, you know, to be able to look in his eyes, you know, and, and honor his life and, and appreciate and love him, um, I think was, you know, something that was needed right because it's not it's not present here but now you know since we since we you know put forward the project and you know the community embraced it it now exists and we had eric b ricks who is one of the most you know well-known muralists in the city uh also learned under smk in terms of graffiti uh he came and painted this amazing 18 foot tall portrait of, of dan um, which really embodies him. Um, the likeness is, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, and then we reached out to some of the OGs, you know, like people who, you know, Dan appreciated their work. Uh, guys like Mesk and, um, you know, Lisa of the World and Ari Randy, who had just recently, you know, come back to the city and um, Sec, you know, from Hoods of Art and SMK and Kier and Da and said, hey, let's put together this collection of work that people can come and see and appreciate and learn about the history of Washington DC graffiti in, in kind of like an active way, right? People can come to the museum, they can 
take a tour or they can walk through and use their phone and scan the QR codes to learn more about the artists that, you know, have work there. Uh, we just added uh, um, Ship Michelle Love uh, this past summer. Um, and so there's, you know, there's a lot of great artists that have come together to create that space. Uh, Jaw One, you know, who did the background, um, Sun LaRock and Mouse from EBO Crew, who uh, have a great installation inside the courtyard. And then we have, you know, almost two dozen artists outside of the courtyard that have put in uh, some amazing work, you know, I'm saying over the past year and a half. Um, just to create like this walkable space where people can just come and enjoy. It doesn't cost money, you know, really, you know, we always have free events for folks to come and enjoy it. And it's um, just been a really, really great uh, opportunity for me to present to the folks in Washington, DC, um, some of the, some of the stories that I have heard, right. And that I have been able to collect in my experience and all of those artists, that are in that space, you know, I asked to personally come and paint there um, for this purpose and they said yes. And so that just makes me feel, you know, really great about the, the entire, you know, project. Mm. <clears throat> I did have, um, by the way, super dumb knowledge, by the way, on that. Thank you for telling me that story about the 14th Street Museum. Um, another question I had is a question for me, actually. Um, I'm in a crew called Three Nine, so I've been around. My crew's been around since '93. So, a question to you is: um, we, we always try to invoke longevity. What's your words of wisdom to the people that carrying on the torch and like passing on knowledge to like your your, your people that are coming to your crew? How do you carry that torch on and, and express longevity? And with Double Down Kings, well, um, you know, for many years, I just put people down in the crew. Uh, uh, after the first couple of years, I became the president of the crew. Um, I shared co-presidency with uh, with my partner alone, you know, for the first couple of years. But after a while, you know, I started, you know, having that power to be like, hey, I want you to be in 2DK. And that was great. You know, what I'm saying Disco Dan became a member in that way. You know, Cert, you know, all these all these writers became a member in that way. Um, but towards the, you know, the middle of... Uh, you know, the first decade of the 2000s, we had to switch it up a little bit because we had gone through, you know, many, at that point, number of generations of different writers. We have over 300 members, you know, but not all of them are active at once, right? Um, but we wanted to find a way to make it fair, you know, for folks to come in, you know, and because we have an open door policy, um, you know, for, for folks to come and hang out with us. Um, the the crew, you know, itself needs to have some sort of mechanisms in place. And so for the most part, all of the members from, you know, 2005 up until just this past year, you know, have been voted in by committee, so to speak, where we get together as a group, you know, someone is vouched for by an existing member and a vote is, and a vote is taken right there. Um, usually in the affirmative, you know what I'm saying, that the person is getting down um, with us and and welcomed into the crew. But upon that, you know, what I'm saying what they're asked to do is, you know, your only duty as a member of 2DK is to practice and preserve the the graffiti culture, right? So that means you either do it, or you show someone else how to do it. Right. And as long as you do 
one of those two things is cool, you know. Um, that's the each one teach one, right? You know, the, pre the preservation part of it is passing it on. Now, some, for some, the preservation might be documenting it now, you know. They might not do it anymore, but they're taking the pictures, you know. Um, and, and I think all of that works, you know, kind of at, in a cycle for us because we have so many members through so many different years um, and some have spread out. I mean, we have members in, you know, in Europe, we have members in Australia, all over the United States, um, South America, where our members have, you know, who are from here have gone and left. And, you know, many of them, many of them haven't even met each other. Uh, their one connection is me. They all know me and they've all spent time with me. Um, and so through that, you know what I'm saying, we've kind of become this kind of extended, you know, street family with the goal of practicing and preserving graffiti culture. Okay. <clears throat> I feel like with you, one thing that's very unique and very special to you is that you have two art forms on your arsenal. You have the graffiti aspect, and now you have the NC aspect. So where, where, where does NC come into the picture for you on top of, like, your whole graffiti career? When did you just get involved with becoming a rapper as well? Well, if I jumped off the porch in 94 with graffiti, by 1995, I was writing raps. Um, okay. And that was inspired by, like, KRS-One. That was inspired by the Artifacts. Any, any rapper who wrote graffiti, you know, hieroglyphics, you know what I'm saying? I gravitated towards those groups first. And then, uh, and then you know, upon entering, you know, Lord Finesse and, you know, uh, you know later MOP and, and, and groups like this that, that I really, really love, you know, uh, and kind of inspire my musics. But the music's been there almost the, the exact same amount of time. Um, my introduction really outside of just freestyling at parties at University of Maryland, which we did, you know, a lot of um, in the early days, was meeting Tony Blackman uh, while I was working uh, in College Park uh, at a coffee house called Planet X. And she came in to promote for KRS-One's 1995 self-titled album and, you know, I want I had just kind of really discovered KRS and geeked out, you know, because here was my, you know, my new favorite musician and he's about to drop this new album and someone walked into the, you know, where I'm at and wants to hang up a poster. Well, of course I started chatting her up and telling her about all of the amazing graffiti I was writing and, you know, all of the amazing raps that I was uh, spitting and she, you know, took, uh, she took a liking or at least, you know, felt sorry enough for me to say, hey, you know what, if you really want to do this, you got to come down to this place called Kappa House. And, you know, I did just that, you know, uh, I, the, the following week I went down there, uh, I found my way, you know, and, you know, went to the Kappa House for the very first time. And I was telling um, U Street TV this uh, a couple of weeks ago when we spoke that, the first person I spoke to when I got down there was a man named Baba Ascari. And if you're familiar with U Street lore, uh, Baba Ascari was the elder of elders in that space. And he was the first person to talk to me when, when I was standing in front of Cobb House. He asked me if I knew where I was. I told him, I thought, I, th I think I do. And he's like, 
He looked at me, shook his head, and he said, welcome. And from that day on, you know what I'm saying, U Street was my home. You know, Kava House was my home. But every one of those alleys and up and down 14th Street and up and down 7th Street, you know, we were running in and out of there. We were painting them all the time. We were in Kava House three or four nights a week. I ended up working at Kava House. And it all led me to taking the music that, you know, that I was kind of formulating, you know, on paper and in my black books, the, the lyrics, onto the stage of Kava House. Uh, after, you know, absorbing Priest the Nomad, Sub-Z, Kokai, Storm the Unpredictable, of course, Tony Blackman. Um, and I mean, I could just go on with the number of amazing, talented, you know, folks that I met in those first couple of years that really just kind of inspired me to, you know, take what I had been writing in the book and bring it out on stage. And we were able to do that, you know, um, through Elias Zaleka, who's the owner of Coffee House, giving us the opportunity to, um, you know, to come in uh, and curate a, a hip hop night. We weren't calling it curating back then, but, you know, that's what we were doing. We had, you know, DJ SMK, Scratchmaster K was with us, DJ Kelt, rest in peace, um, Dirty Hands and Tech One back then, um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, early on we had uh, DJ Underdog spend his first set with us. And so we were in that space and it was influencing me musically to the point where, you know, I no longer wanted to just do, oh yeah, Sest. DJ Sess, DJ Bookworm. Um, I mean, there was a lot of a lot of folks, you know. Uh, and that party was called Power Moves. We did that for a couple of years. We also did a, a party called Lab Sessions. Um, and you know, those were those were where I cut my teeth, you know, getting into the cipher, you know, live and 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 you know, kind of putting myself out there uh, to the point where, you know, I caught the attention of. Uh, of a group called the Utopian Knights, who kind of an offshoot of another group from out of PG County called the Mud Kids. Um, and Sutter Kane and DJ Phobia, who were working with us uh, at that time, you know what I'm saying, um, were asked me to come into the studio with them to record for the very first time. I had never recorded anything. And they brought me to a place, the studio back then was called Asiatic Studios. Um, they introduced me to their producer and engineer uh, his name was Boo Boo. Boo Boo, the fool to some folks, or Boo Boo, the producer now, you know. And um, that kind of set me off on the course for being able to do what I do now because I've had a collaborative relationship with Boo Boo for now over 20 years. Uh, where I'm sitting at right now is the same booth where I recorded my very first uh, lyrics in 1997, 1998. And, um, you know, that's where I continue to come home and do my work. Uh, but through that relationship with the Utopian Knights, I started putting together some music with uh, another member of the Double Down Kings, goes by the name of Speaks, uh, Speaks Beats now. He's one of our, uh, one of the producers from the crew. Um, but he and I formed a group called The Lab um, in 2000, stood for the Lyrics and Beats. And we had DJ Kelp with us uh, early on before he passed away. And then when Kelp passed away, DJ Oso Fresh took up the DJing responsibilities. And for the next few years, every 
Friday and Saturday night, we were at some club in the city, you know, throwing down a set. Um, and, you know, whether that was Copper House, State of the Union, uh, The Ritz, um, Aqua, we were, we were all over the place. Um, and, and took it on the road, you know, um, and, and worked at, and really worked hard at, you know, trying to, you know, live up to, you know, Washington DC standards to us, which were, uh, you know, infinite loop and, um, three LG, you know, who were inspirations for me, you know, um, you know, yeah, we were at U-Turn with K Chromie, like almost every Friday. Sees Mike's, Jesus. Uh, those are all people that we were we were floating in the nexus with. You know, what I'm saying uh, at the same time, Flex Matthews would be another one that that comes into. And all of these folks that I'm mentioning to you, you know, what I'm saying they're all members of the Double Down Kings. You know, um, they it might have been under the banner of the Lab, you know, at a certain point in time, but it's all it's all the same thing. As a matter, we didn't talk about this, but the full name of the crew is the 2DK Lab. Right, which the two dope kings leave all burned, and that was my next question. That was my next question. Yeah, <laughs> so go ahead, but, keep going, yeah, keep I going, mean, keep going. It's because it's been it's been so long, you know, we have different iterations of how you might see the name written, and some people, you know, they know the two DK lab, you know, because we had levels, you know, and for our youngins, everybody's coming in on two DK, you know, and then the the cast that were really about their shit and sharpening their swords you know, we're members of the lab. As we, you know, move for, you know, further into the teaching aspects of it and, and set, having the classes and stuff, you know, we had a lot of young people that were like, they wanted to be in the lab. And so, you know, it became a thing, you know, I told them, you know, you have to graduate from high school, you have to be pursuing, you know, uh, a college degree or a trade, you know, um, and, you know, you have to go forward and start your own business. And then that's how we have a delineation in the crew now, you know what I'm saying, between, you know, folks that are, you know, coming into the crew. Because those levels still exist, but for the sake of unity amongst the crew and the 300 plus members, you know, the Double Down Kings is the blanket. Okay. You got two albums, I'm gonna say underneath your belt. Um, Songs in the Sallow Man's Key, and then Divine Line Disciple. Yeah. What What was the whole concept behind those albums, and what is your creative process behind creating those two projects? Well, the Songs in the Sallow Man's Key was uh, a project that was kind of like a long time in the making. I had gone through the process with the lab uh, where we had a record deal you know, we were kind of shelled for a little while. The, the company folded. We were sitting on music for a while. Uh, Speaks had gotten, you know, um, deployed overseas because he's, he's in the military, a career military, um, serving our country. Um, he had gotten deployed. And so we were, we were trying to figure out, you know, like, you know, what to do. We had, we had managed to release On the Home Front, which was the, the album that, you know, the lab had been working on in the early 2000s. Um, and now I was here kind of standing by myself to a certain degree in terms of musically um, and trying to figure out what I wanted to bring to the table. Now, all of the music that we've made, all of the lab music, all of the Rock Creek Lee uh, music is all an extension of the crew. You know what I'm saying? I make the music for the crew, you know. It was, that was really part of, you know, the whole 
inception of it was we want to make songs that resonate with you know what we do and who we are right and you know so when i got into writing records for the solomon's key i realized that it was just me you know to a certain extent um and i had slr with me uh and we were gonna we were gonna have to create and write whatever the new chapter of the the crew was gonna be and during that time we were working really hard you know whether we were doing graffiti classes doing graffiti you know out doing walls and productions uh started to you know paint murals at that time we opened up a retail store called art under pressure at that time and so we were really working like every day and you know drawing on kind of inspiration from uh krs1 lyric that says hip-hop can build its own secret societies and you know kind of laying that next to what we had already built this brotherhood this sisterhood within graffiti culture within dc hip-hop culture that you know some of the ideas of secret societies of the past you know lay adjacent to what we do and uh that's where the concept of the solomon's key came and if you if you look at the title it's not it's not spelled like King Solomon, but it is a play on the word, you know, Solomon. Uh, but so the word solo means that your your skin is discolored, usually from like working in the dirt, right? And so the whole concept behind the Solomon's key is that it's the working man's key. And that is very fitting for the type of music that we're putting together. It's not overproduced, you know, um, you know, kind of fluff work, you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not marketable in that way that, you know, top 40 hip hop is, right? It's really working class hip hop. And that's what the, the term Solomon's key means. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's songs and the working man's key. And if you listen to those records, that's what they talk about. They talk about putting in work, you know, and, um, you know, I I had started recording the album and we opened up the shop and half that record was just sitting on a storage drive and on CDs. And um, I at that point, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to run a store. You know, what I'm saying we're going to do this. We're going to paint murals. Music's probably not going to happen. And the funny thing happened at the store. We started actually doing a lot of music events. Uh, Elias Seleka had opened up Ross Hall, right? You know, it was right next to us. And we were booking shows like we were back in the day, but with younger artists, you know, uh, folks like Matt McGee and Suri Yu, Cal Rips, Nate G, um, A Coco, Ross Nebu. I mean, these are all, these are all young, you know, young DC hip hop artists, you know, five, six years ago that we're working with and booking shows for and um, one of the one of the young artists went by the name of Avion. It's the nephew of Nonchalant, and uh, he and his brother and their crew. Uh, you know, I, I just I really loved all of those kids very much, and particularly Avion, uh, who he and I share a birthday on June third. His initials are CLS, um, and so are mine, and we have the same middle name, which is Lee. Uh, 
And so he and I just like really kind of bonded and connected. And um, early in the summer of 2012, uh, he passed away um, from an epileptic seizure. And it was very unexpected. And he was one of the youngins that I actually shared my music with. And he would always say, yo, you got to put this out. You got to do shows with us. You know, he was pushing me to like, you know, I, I played him some of the records from the, from the Solomon's key album that were done. He was really into it. And he just told me, you know, one of the last times I saw him, he was like, you promise me you're going to put that out. And I told him I would. And so when he passed away, it was just kind of like, you know, whoa, you know, um, and, and because he was so young and it just, it just really affected me. You know, I just thought to myself, I've been sitting on my stuff for so long. You know what I'm saying? I make stuff, I sit on it, you know, whatever, whatever. You got to put this thing out, you know what I'm saying? And so after he passed away, you know, we were, we were in the, we recorded a mixtape at Art Under Pressure. And in that meantime, I was going back and forth to Boo Boo's to finish off the Solomon's Key album. And then finally, um, about a year into that process, I, I had what I wanted and I was able to put that album out in its, in its final form in 2013. And then, you know, just this past year in 2020, we re-released on vinyl for the first time the songs in the Solomon's Key record. Which you can get at rockcreeklee.com, by the way. Yes, you can. You can listen to all platforms as That's well. Right. I found out that recently. <laughs> mm. um, what's coming down the pipeline for you, man? Like, what's what's coming down the future for you, man? What you got? What you got mapped out for everybody? Well, on both aspects. Immediately on the eighth of January, you can come to the townhouse uptown uh, for an act, a vinyl listening party uh, for the songs in the Solomon's Key record. Um, it's going to have uh, DJ SMK kind of queuing up the songs for you with Wes Felton giving you some commentary on each of the songs. Uh, DJ RBI will be in the house with us that night. He'll be doing a DJ mix set with the album straight from the vinyl. Um, and I'll be there. So if you, you know, want to buy a copy from uh, the Townhouse Uptown because they stock the record there in the store, uh, I will happily sign it for you. Um, Beyond that, we're looking into February, we're looking at uh, Tuesday, the 22nd of February, 2022, which is gotta be deuce day, you know? It's all two straight across the board. So we're looking to do something uh, big for that. Um, sitting down with U Street TV soon for a Smoke Champs style, you know, more in depth interview um, that we're gonna be sharing out with folks. Uh, and all of that leading up to, you know, the release of a couple of new records, uh, Divine Line Disciple Part 2 and The Rejected Stone, which will be a full-length album. Uh, for any of you who, you know, uh, caught our release from the summertime this year, Divine Line Disciple, we do have a follow-up coming, uh, another seven-song EP and a full-length album. So um, that's what we're working on. We've got a documentary in the works with uh, Double Down Kings. Um, and uh, we're doing a lot of work with uh, the nonprofit organization DC Murals, uh, which I was just named the executive director of. Um, so over the course of the next year, you can you know expect to see us keeping up this you know keeping up the the same energy when it comes to 
representing our Washington DC artists, our Washington DC OGs, and putting them on platforms that are worthy of their talents and their accomplishments. Man, Rock, you got a you got a busy schedule, bro. Amen. <laughs> we working, you know. Like I said, as soon as hey, you gotta stay working. We're done with this interview. I'm gonna turn off this IG live, and we're going to go back to recording these records because, you know, that's the thing that I that I took from from AB's passing, and that's the thing that I took from 2020, which was you can't sit on the things that you're passionate about. You can't wait for them for everything to be perfect. You know what I'm saying? You just got to get out and do the work and push closer towards the goal. If I didn't do it today, I can do it tomorrow. I can do it in a month. And it don't matter. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I'm blessed to know so many talented, amazing artists, you know what I'm saying, that we tap in and, you know, we're able to make things happen, manifest things, even when we don't have funding. Um, you know, that I've gotten to a point where I don't, I don't plan on stopping, you know, we, you know, so if I got a day off and I can go and paint a graffiti piece, I'm going to go do that. If I got a, an opportunity to go paint a mural on the other side of town, I'm going to go do that. If I got an opportunity to pop into the studio for a day or two with Boo Boo and bang on a few songs, we're going to do that. And we're going to try to make sure that everything we do has, you know, derivative income coming into us based off the art we're creating, you know, whether that's in the videos and YouTube streams or, you know, selling physical copies, um, you know, we're, we're here to, we're here to make a living out of the things that we love doing. And that's what, that's what I'm working hard towards every day. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You kind of already answered the question. I'm going to do it anyways. Um, from one curator to another curator, I want to say thank you for, uh, just dropping knowledge to all of us tonight, man. Um, is there anything you want to get off your chest, anything you want to say before you wrap up this episode? Anything you want to say to everybody watching and maybe watching later on? Um, I'll just say this, you know, if you if you like what you hear, you know what I'm saying, in terms of the conversation or the music that Hidden Gems has already played for you, please check us out, rockcreekly.com, rockcreekly across all platforms, uh, all streaming sites. You can add, you know, our albums in. Um, you can add us in your IG stories. Uh, all of that. Um, I guess I'll just say this, you know, there's still a lot of stories left to be told. And what you're doing is super important. Um, and big up to, you know, uh, Hidden Gems as a platform, to you as a person for, you know, diving into these, you know, kind of deep histories with folks. I've, I've learned so much this season, just following along with what you've been doing that I, I just feel honored to have been added into the mix and that you would be, you know, wanting to hear what I got to say about things. So I just want to, you know, I want to end it by throwing the love back to you and just and don't stop. Thank you, man. Thank you. I feel like um for me, at least um being, being a medium, I feel like the graffiti world is one of our weaknesses, you know, so I was told by many people to, to have you be the person to crack open this this other artistic expression of uh, hip hop, you know? So I'm very thankful that you were open to doing it for me. So thank you, man, thank you. Um, with that being said, um, next week we got Michelle Love and then we got Cash 144 um, coming up next week. So please tune in to us uh, next week. We got plenty more people coming down. We got Demon 202, um, Kobe Kennedy, 
Um, and we have one nine also down the pipeline. We also have Ultra coming up as well. So thank you for tuning in. And uh, Rock Creek Lee, thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Kind of, you still there, Ian? 